You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house, here on my vacation time, Sunday, June the 5th. And I know we were off a little bit last week. And because of that, I really wanted to give some of you guys just a sense of my views on what's been going on. A lot has been going on, of course. Every time I decide to take a vacation, uh, things go haywire. So I wanted to have something ready ready for you for this busy work week, what's undoubtedly going to be a beast of a week. We're going to have a lot to talk about, both on domestic and foreign policy here. But before we delve into you know, the main topic here, which is what conservatives can learn from the success in getting Trump to do the right thing on the Paris Climate Accords, we're going to start off with the terror attack. Here we are again. The, the big question for Western democracies is how much blood, how much blood has to be shed in order for it to become fashionable in the West to finally recognize the enemy? And no, the enemy is not terrorism. Terrorism is a tactic. The same way the enemy is not a machine gun or martial arts. It's not a, it's not a tactic. It's not a tool. It's not a methodology. It's Islamic supremacism. It's jihad. And it's not some sort of fringe, it's not a matter of ISIS. You know, even conservatives, even Ted Cruz, at least publicly in some of his statements, even the biggest conservatives, they talk about ISIS. Oh, ISIS attacked London, just like ISIS attacked Manchester. Just like, you know, several uh, months ago, people forget you had the attack at the British Parliament. A few people were killed there. This is really the third um, high-profile attack in a few months in England. And everyone says ISIS. ISIS claimed responsibility. ISIS has nothing to do with anything. ISIS is over in Syria. They have some affiliates elsewhere in North Africa, the Middle East, the Far East, now in the Philippines. They are the latest flavor on the block. It's kind of like saying, you know, you have, you know, a young kid growing up admiring LeBron James. He loves basketball. So, you know, who's going to be the flavor of the day? It's going to be LeBron James. But LeBron James didn't get that kid into basketball. He got into basketball. Now that he's into it, well, he likes LeBron James. It's the same thing here. ISIS didn't attack England. They didn't attack us with some of the homegrown terror attacks we've had over the last two years. It comes from self-immolation where we bring in a large population of people that fundamentally share the values of jihad. That is the problem. They believe in Islamic supremacism. So it cultivates a homegrown climate. A lot of these people were either born here, they're second generation, they came here when they were younger. Um, This problem has been festering for decades, certainly in Europe, but, but here as well. We're walking in their footsteps. And, you know, ISIS has been around for three years, four years Nothing to do with them. They'll, you know, they'll identify with with um, ISIS because they're kind of the dream team of jihad now. You know, the same way that a kid will identify with LeBron James if he likes basketball. 
But the problem here is that we let it into our country. And like I've said before, it's not about sending our troops overseas to do God knows what in these Islamic civil wars. The problem is, and, and it's funny because, you know, it costs us so much to fight that. And even then, what are we fighting? We're fighting, you know, two bad sides. Trillions of dollars, thousands of lives lost for what? This doesn't cost us anything not to let it in your country. No other generation, after undergoing a fraction of this, incurring a fraction of these attacks, would have done anything but put a complete moratorium on on Muslim immigration. Just straight up. And yet here we are, we double down on it. We're going to get into some of this. We bring in roughly 150,000 a year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine how you could commit suicide. But then we have the Saudis, the Erdogan Turkish government, and the Muslim Brotherhood fanning the flames of radicalism, fanning the flames of jihad Islamic supremacism that rears these kids up on the Islamic supremacist ideology. You have counter-assimilation. And that's what draws them to ISIS, Al-Qaeda, or whatever else, or freelance jihad. It doesn't matter. ISIS is not the problem. You could drop, um, you know, you could drop a bomb on Raqqa tomorrow. And it won't do anything. It won't stop any of this because you let the problem into your own country. This is at its core the message Trump needs to give. And, and in order for us to kind of delve through and plow forward a path for the president to, to actually articulately give over his vision, what, what should be his vision, for Homeland Security, it's important for us to take a step back as conservatives and review some of the principles we've been going, on, going over the last few weeks. And, and, and also, just before I want to go back, I want to mark today is June 5th, a very significant A. It's the 75th anniversary of Midway, the turning point in the Pacific Theater in World War II. Um, it's also the 50th anniversary of the, 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 the start of the Six-Day War when you know the Arab enemies – and again, this is significant because Israel was the canary in the coal mine. You know, when people thought, oh, this is a con- conventional land dispute – um, but really, it wasn't. It was anything but. It was a religious holy war. It was jihad in which these people, um, you know, five Arab armies. It was, uh, what was it? Mainly Egypt, obviously, but Jordan, Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon amassed 550,000 troops, 2,500 tanks, almost 1,000 combat aircraft with the goal of annihilating Israel, committing another Holocaust, killing 2.5 million Jews there. Um, Nasser would get up there, the head of the Arab uh, faction, the president of Egypt. He'd say, we're going to make the Mediterranean Sea run run red with uh, Jewish blood. And um, not a single country was with them. France, England, you know, LBJ got up there and said it's naked aggression what Nasser was doing, but then he refused to lift a finger and, and actually, you know, restrained Israel. God performed one of the greatest miracles of all time, much less in modern time, and, you know, reunited Jerusalem after 2,000 years. They won just a smashing victory over five armies. It's inexplicable. 
they were outnumbered 50 to one in some places. And it was just, it was just pure biblical miracle there, but that was jihad. And, and it's kind of ironic watching the 50th anniversary as Israelis celebrate 50 years from the six day war, how they were the canary in the coal mine and the West just doesn't get it. They, they brought it. See, they figured, ha ha, we'll laugh at Israel. Oh, you go deal with the Arabs on your own. Ha ha. Good luck there. You know, God had a different plan. Since the Six-Day War, these clowns have brought, over the last 50 years, they've brought the problem to their own shores in the form of just endless Muslim immigration. Endless, endless Muslim immigration. Now, I don't know... So, so anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this. I want to come back to what we should do about this. You know, what Trump should say about Islamic terror. But I want to go over Thursday. Last Thursday, two big things emanated from this administration. One really good, one a colossal, terrible betrayal that we knew the entire time, but it was kind of just, you know, solidified. It was made official. And, you know, obviously conservatives are really praising Trump about the good thing. You don't hear much about the bad thing. The good thing is, as you know, he stood up to the Europeans, got out of the uh, Paris uh, global warming uh initiative which pretty much would just shut down our capitalist base or energy in this country while China and India could run amok and do what they want. And he he was very on message. And that was the first time in weeks I was actually proud of the president where we could actually defend him against the media on something of substance that we believe in. And we gave him props for that. But something else happened as well. Something else happened on that day. And no one, no one else other than Mark Levin was willing to talk about it. That was the day the State Department came out with their, uh, with their statement. And they said, we are not moving the embassy to Jerusalem, the Israeli embassy to Jerusalem. And it's, again, it's funny, you know, tying in the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War. I mean, that's a slap in the face, um, refusing to recognize God's miracles, God's will, um, much less just prudence, Um you know, the fact that Trump speaks with clarity about what's going on in Europe, and somehow he divorces that from the PLO and the Palestinians. Like, somehow the Palestinians are these saintly people and not the impetus and catalyst for jihad. Go figure that one out. But what was worse than him not moving the embassy is the rationale behind him not moving. I don't care so much about where the brick and mortar of our embassy is. It's the policy that it reflects. They don't want to move it because they want to promote the Clinton-Obama-era peace process. In other words, kick Jews out of their land and create a racist Arab state um, as if we don't have problems with even known stable states becoming unstable, but we're going to create the most violent, unstable place out of nothing. And nothing, nothing from conservatives except for Mark Levin. And, you know, my point is, I've said this before. Trump is not hard to figure out. He is a rudderless ship. He doesn't really have any principle or ideology. And I warned about this in the past. I said, this is what I warned about in the primary, why I didn't support him. I said, he's saying some good things, but I can guarantee you he doesn't believe in them strongly enough that without a lot of really good people around him, when you don't have a rudder, well, you go into the wind. And the gravitational pull, the inertia, is only in one direction, 
in Washington, and it's the road to hell. Certainly not in our direction. It, it, it just that that's what it is so people still they hear good things from him good tweets that they agree with him on but the policy outcomes we've said this a lot the policy outcomes are completely divergent tillerson's a liberal gary Cohn's a liberal dina powell hr mcmaster obviously jared and ivanka but the good news is that on the other hand it's not like trump has a rudder that he believes passionately in the liberal swamp he's kind of his own thing So if you get in his face and you yell at him and you say, Mr. President, you're betraying us. The good thing about Trump, you know, was like, Daniel, say something nice about the guy for once. Well, I'll say something nice. He is sensitive to conservative criticism. He watches it. He listens. I I can tell you he does listen to certain radio shows, certainly TV. He's very sensitive to what some conservatives say about him. I can't do this alone. But if other people would join me, it would change, and that's what the Paris Climate Initiative demonstrates. That little Miss Princess Ivanka didn't get what she wants. She's not impervious. We could punch through that. Gary Cohn and Tillerson were yelping for weeks about the need to stay in the Paris climate. But the difference between the Jerusalem embassy and the Paris Climate Initiative, decisions that were made on the same day in divergent directions, one good, one bad, is that as it relates to the Paris Agreement, conservatives got in his face because we saw for weeks that he was wavering and they said, no, this is unacceptable. This would be a betrayal. Now, a more cynical way of saying this, it it, it helped the fact that you have industry. (laughs) This is the one issue we have industry with us. I mean, the problem is, you know, when it comes to abrogating the Iran deal, for example, or, you know, um, certainly, gosh, the Saudi deal, there you have Boeing and the industries standing to benefit from it. Obama's DACA amnesty, building the wall, ref- stopping refugees, not raising the debt ceiling, cutting spending, not expanding low-skill H-2B visas. I mean, we can go through a lot of betrayals that are going on. We don't have industry with us. So we have to really yell at him. The bottom line is the squeaky wheel gets oil. And, and, and this, is, this is the biggest problem I have with some of my fellow colleagues, some of my friends who work in this business. They're so they're tiptoeing around him and ooh, Mr. Trump, Mr. President. And I'm thinking, dude, if you don't get in his face and make your demands, he's not going to hear from us. And and frankly, a lot of times, because he doesn't understand the issues, keep in mind it's the same guy that will say, I hate Obamacare, but oh, I love Canada's healthcare system. He doesn't understand the mutual exclusivity of things that are just antithetical. So that's why Trump will get up and say something. He'll talk really good, you know, making fun out of Europe on uh, Islamic immigration, saying we need my travel ban. But then his own State Department is doubling refugee resettlement, and they plan on taking in. By the way, remember those Australian refugees, the asylees that even the liberal Australians didn't want to keep, um, and they they put them in an offshore facility. Obama agreed to take them in, but, you know, it didn't uh, come to fruition by by the time the— he left office, Trump could end that. He's not. We could get in his face. And and by the way, when, when Obama was doing it, Trump tweeted out what a stupid thing it is to do. He doesn't, he, he, either he's not on top of it, he doesn't realize it, he doesn't feel strongly enough to fight for it, there's too many liberals around him. You gotta recognize that. Stop taking it personal. Everything's viewed in the prism of, are you against Trump or are you for Trump? Actually, some of us have deeper principles and intellect than that. 
We're for what we believed in long before Trump. We're for our things. When it coincides with Trump, more power to him. When he wavers, let's let's give him a path and demand that he follow it. And when he betrays us, let's get in his face and say, you're betraying us. We need to take this to the next level and make demands. And you know what? I think on a number of issues, but not everything, he'll listen to us. But only if you ask for it. We're our best advocates. We are our only advocates. You know, I, I guarantee you, if you would have outrage from Rush and Sean, they were yelping about how Obama treated Israel for, for weeks, if they would do the same thing now, I think he'd change. This is all coming from the liberals around him. I, I know that for a fact. I can't disclose conversation on conversations I've had with individual conservative members of Congress, but they've talked with administration people. And uh, it's coming from them. But again, Trump hired these people. Trump goes along with them. So don't treat him with kid gloves. You have to demand that he he don't listen to them and, and eventually fire them. That's the lesson from the from the Paris Climate Agreement, that it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to have betrayal after betrayal. We can make our demands, and we should make our demands. And that leads us to the path forward, what we should be demanding of Trump post-Manchester, post-London attacks. This is the best time to have his own administrative battle of midway, so to speak, change directions and regain momentum of his administration. I've always said that I feel forgetting, even putting aside fiscal and economic policy, you know, unemployment rate is coming down. I think he could stake his presidency out on national security and homeland security. I will be the man to keep America safe. I will be the man to bend the trajectory, the president that ensures we do not walk in the footsteps of Europe. You get up there, give a national televised address. You know, Twitter's nice, and it's a good ancillary to go over the media, connect directly with the people, but he needs to give a formal address. Almost every one of his formal speeches, by the way, are well-received, even by the media. Everyone agrees his speech before Congress was great. I think he should even ask um, John Bain, uh, John Boehner, um, Speaker Ryan, you know, it's his own party, so he had the, the, you know, they have control over it, to invite him again, give another speech before Congress, just on this subject, just on this subject, and say, look, we stand with our European allies. We stand with them. But we will not walk in their footsteps and follow their mistakes. We're going to focus on assimilating those Muslim immigrants already here, those who want to be patriots. We're going to end the influence of the Muslim Brotherhood and those that spew hatred towards Americans. And what, in order to do that, we need to slow down the pace. It's pure common sense. You speak to the common sense of the American people, and then you speak to the common sense about the courts. So here are some bullet points that the president needs to, needs to do and he needs to advocate for. Number one on the list is obviously the wall. I mean, that was the seminal promise of this campaign, this presidency, and they flubbed. They funded refugee resettlement. They funded everything the Democrats wanted in the budget, and they did not fund the wall. He needs to get up there and demand that the Republican Congress bring to the floor a supplemental spending bill that funds the wall pays for it in all sorts of ways. You know, Cruz has the El Chapo Act, which would freeze the assets of, of the drug cartels. You cut off refundable tax credits for illegal aliens. 
remittances. There's a lot of good ways of doing it that are very popular um, that would really speak to the majority of the American people. And, you know, you, you know, you get up there and you give data. You sound intelligent. He, he's capable of do the, doing this. Stephen Miller is capable of writing such a speech. And by the way, he should bypass the media if you want. Do a Facebook Live. I mean, my buddies here at CR do Facebook Lives all the time. They say they do really well. I mean, he has the biggest Facebook and uh, social media accounts around. And the media, anyway, would be forced to cover it. They go wherever he wants to go. And that's the thing. Why should Trump have the need to respond to everything they do? He should create his own issues and make them respond to him. So talk about the wall. Talk about the fact that he just came back on a trip from Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the Vatican. All three countries have border walls. And the success, um, show the data, show the success from San Diego and Yuma and from Israel. And by the way, the Eastern European countries now doing it, unlike the Western European countries, to block the stem of, of refugees. Talk about how U.S. Southern Command, even under the Obama administration last year, noted that there were 31,000 individuals from the Middle East that were caught coming over our southern border in the first 10 months of last, uh, the last fiscal year. And those are the people they caught. They, they, they said in that report there were dozens, uh, I mean not dozens, uh, uh, tens of thousands more that weren't caught. And, and this is not incidental. There's an entire cartel being set up from Greece to Latin America um, you know, just like you had the coyotes and smugglers for Latin Americans, uh, you have it for the Middle East now. Talk about a- exit entry and how it's been on the books for, for since 1996, much like the border wall, and hasn't been funded, hasn't been implemented. This is something Chuck Schumer and the Democrats said they supported. We don't even know. How do you have immigration at a time like this when you can't even track visa overstays? Quote the DHS report from last month that noted just 1% of all visa overstays are even caught. How do you have an immigration system where you you don't have exit entry tracking who comes and who goes? And this is the law of the land that already is. I mean, I would just say he should advocate that they pass it to to just reaffirm it. And, And by the way, he needs to make that case that the wall is not some new scary Trump boondoggle. It's the law of the land since 2006 just hasn't been funded. I mean, we live in a time where people are used to reality TV. So, you know, you don't have to speak like a typical politician. I mean, I thought that was his whole uh, brand there. Get up there and, and, and lay out the case. Make it. Then move on and start talking about the need to work with people like Dr. Zudi Jaster, true moderate Muslims, patriotic Muslims, to root out the Muslim Brotherhood. And say, call upon Congress to designate them as a terror group. You could actually do it executively. Lay out the problems with them. Root them out of your own DHS. Talk about these radical mosques preaching, you know, preaching hatred. That's going to resonate. Yeah, of course the media is going to fight, but at least we could then fight the media on something of substance that frankly is a, is a, is a 70-30 issue. Talk about Dave Bratt's bill cutting off, uh, not um, barring all funding, foreign funding of religion in this country if those countries themselves don't have freedom of religion. Ahem, Turkey and uh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, I'm sorry, Trump is selling out to the Saudis, but I digress. 
talk about the Taylor Force Act, and this is something we're going to be talking about a lot in the coming days, where, you know, this this is very important. We've talked about this a lot, and again, on the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War, the Palestinians, so-called Palestinians, there's no such thing as an Arab-Palestinian, they are the catalyst of modern-day jihad. And not just, I mean, it's funny, you want to talk about terrorism, and terrorism's a tactic, it's not the problem, the problem is Islamic supremacists, but they have catalyzed the tactics. Suicide bombings were invented by the PLO. Vehicular jihad started a few years ago in Israel. And those very people, the people that committed this attack in London, if they would have done that same thing, and the people that do the same thing in Israel are rewarded by Abbas, whom Trump treats as as a hero, a legitimate state leader. Stop working with him, cut off ties with them, and demand that Congress pass the Taylor Force Act, named after Taylor Force, a Marine veteran from Texas, who happened to be, I don't know if he was vacationing, whatever it was, he was in, I believe, Tel Aviv, um, or close by there in Israel, and he was murdered in a stabbing, just like you had in London. Guess what? Those people are getting pensions from the PLO government that is funded directly or indirectly to the tune of $700 million a year by our government because we give them direct funding and also through the UN, through the UNRWA program. I mean, these are winning issues. We're not even talking about healthcare is a very naughty issue. I mean, these are no-brainers. We have a list of 20 of these ideas. One after another, lay it out there. Call upon the do-nothing Congress to do. And by the way, and Trump, again, he's tweeted some of this, but, but he, tweet you can't fax it in. This is, this is the lesson. You got to go all the way. We need leadership. We know we're not going to get it from McConnell and Ryan. We know what the Democrats are. We know what the media is. But he's got to get it together. Be consistent. Be forceful. Be specific. Use your bully pulpit relentlessly. And then get everyone in your administration on the same, the same side. And if they're not, can then shut down the refugee program? Well, I, I want. Well, let me come back to that. But he mentioned this on Twitter. Um, guns. What What are you noticing with all these attacks in Europe? That they could just come and mow people down, and nobody has a gun. Even the cops don't seem to have guns. They run away. I mean, speak to speak to the 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 natural macho-ness of Americans. No, we're not going to be like the European sissies. I mean, you don't have to, you know, say it like that in a televised address. But I mean, say we are going to push national right to carry. And by the way, that's a piece of legislation that uh, is introduced by John Cornyn, number two guy in the Senate. Go bring it up. Now is a perfect time. I wish we'd end the Saudi deal. That's another thing, but obviously he's not going to do that. We have 20, there's an article out there that 23,000, there are 23,000 known jihadis in England. I mean, that's like Gaza. That's like Pakistan. It's literally become like, like the Middle East now, according to British intelligence. And, you know, Trump needs to lay this out and say, we're not far behind. You know, the FBI said there's 2,000 plus investigations into terrorism over 300 of them were refugees. I don't know why Trump doesn't cite that more often. And those are known ones. I mean, you have, you know, Andrew Luger, the U.S. attorney from Minnesota, and uh, the um, 
a federal judge from there was saying that there's a terror recruiting problem in Minnesota, in the Minneapolis Somali community. It's spread wide. That needs to be rooted out. If we're at war enough to send our Navy SEALs to die in these stupid Islamic civil wars overseas, then we're at war to the point that if you have... So first of all, we shouldn't be bringing them in, but even if they're brought in, if they're LPRs, they should be out of here if they're preaching hatred. And even if they're citizens, if it's to the point where it's like this Imam Muhammad Musa Jibril that's inspiring people to commit terror attacks on our soil, time of war, I mean, that's, that is not covered by freedom of speech. I'm sorry. That is a problem already. That, that has been a precedent through all our wars. And this is a no-brainer. He needs to lay out this case. And as far as refugees, I mean, it's hard for I'm, I'm glad he's going on Twitter complaining about the courts and, uh, um, you know, the travel ban. But do something about it. Do something about it. Demand from Congress that they defund refugee resettlement. Instead, Trump's own State Department is gratuitously listening, not, not just listening to the courts, but being over-deferential and bringing in 1600 a week. There's no reason for that. Is he aware of it? Oh, whoops, conservatives haven't brought it to his attention like they did the Paris climate, like we started out with on this podcast. We need, we need to get in his face, and I'm going to be laying this out in, in, in an article, all these bullet points. And then finally, he needs to talk about judicial reform. You don't have to get scholarly. He doesn't have to mention my book, although that would be great to, to, to have a plug for stolen sovereignty. But I think the American people are mature enough for a dialogue. Say, wait a minute. This is not just the Supreme Court, which should be a co-equal branch to the other two branches, not standing above them. But even the lower courts that are created by Congress could now nullify our national security, national sovereignty, and, and lay out chapter and verse. Say how the Refugee Act gives the president unilateral authority to set the amount. How could a court say you can't do that? Lay it out. Give a televised address on this. And call upon Congress to take away the jurisdiction from the courts and explain to the American people in two, three minutes how that's done. Article 3, Section 2, that the entire jurisdiction is subject to Congress, that the people ultimately decide through their elected representatives. It's not that hard. It resonates. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's, it's, it's easier. To ex- all this is easier to explain to than free market health care. Health care is a very naughty issue. This is not. I mean, this is how Trump could take the momentum from, you know, the first time we've actually seen America first for a while with the Paris Climate Accords um, and, and, and take, take his show on the road. Take this on the road to, uh, to national security, which starts with homeland security. Anyway, we're going to have a busy week. We're going we're gonna to lay this out. We're going to have you covered on a lot of this news. But then there's also a lot of domestic stuff. You're going to have the debt ceiling and more Obamacare stuff. Congress is back in session this week. This is the final sprint until the July 4th break, and then you just got a couple weeks until the August break. This is when everything's going to be going down. We're going to have everything for you. And this is why I really need you guys to join me in subscribing to CRTV. Because, frankly, Mark Levin and you know Steve Dace, these guys are the only ones on TV that are actually speaking about the issues that matter. Don't watch poor news. 
run by the Murdochs and the leftists and think that that's conservative. It's poisoning the minds of conservatives. Poisoning their minds. There is simply no reason to watch it. So do promo code, issue promo code Horowitz, H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z. Get 10 bucks off your regular subscription. That should check in around 89 bucks a, a year. And, and I'm telling you, for you get a full year of content, you get to see me going nuts on Steve Dace every week. Sorry, I know, I know some of you guys uh, missed me. You know, last week I was on vacation. But, uh, you know, this is where we are. We, we, we got to do better. We got to do better than, than where we are now. It's not enough to just say, oh, the media is being biased. The media is bad. The Democrats are crazy. Oh, look at the PC. We know that. But our side's being PC and contradictory and diffident, weak, con- just all over the map. Trump has got to get it together. Give this televised address. Follow up with a series of photo op speeches throughout the country, building the case, building the case for the wall, for visa tracking, for immigration reform, for designating the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist group, for fighting back against the Saudis and Turkey and the PLO, being consistent, getting the nation behind what we are at war with. Say the problem is homeland security. It's not, you know, Raqqa and ISIS. The problem is the subversion agenda right here in our own backyard. And that's what we're going to do here. We're going to talk about what we affirmatively stand for. What is it we stand for? I don't care about, oh, but the Democrats are worse. Well, we know they're worse. We know they're bad. You know, it's funny. Um, my, my two older sons are always like this. So I, I tell my older son, you know, cut it out. Stop doing this, this dumb thing. He's like, well, Joshua does it. It's his brother two years younger. I'm like, well, you're older. Don't worry about him. And I, I try to, how do you explain to a seven-year-old why in order to succeed in life, you can't use certainly someone younger than you or anyone else as a baseline for what, what success and what you should be doing that's right. Worry about yourself. You stand for what's right. And yet all these adults in conservative politics evidently don't understand that. But anyway, my next vacation, I hope to see you all at the Freedom Fest annual gathering of liberty-minded, freedom-minded individuals, the world's largest gathering of free minds. It's going to be in Las Vegas this year at the Paris Vegas Resort, July 19th to the 22nd. It's coming up soon. The theme is Exploring New Frontiers. Um you know, this is, they're also celebrating the 70th anniversary, 70th birthday of Steve Forbes. Lots of other guys will be there. I think Bongino will be there. Some of our other buddies from, from CR. Go to www.freedomfest.com. Register today using promo code CRTV100. CRTV100, get $100 off regular registration or call 855-850-3733. And, uh, we, you know, Maybe you actually meet meet some people that could work together. And that's my idea, to just gather like-minded people who are willing to speak out about our shared values. Let's take our message everywhere and anywhere. But most importantly, let's start within our own circles. Forget about the Democrats. If we stand for all that's right, it will bleed through the media to the majority of the American people and will be successful. 
if all we worry about is the Democrats and the media, we're going to become nothing better than the Democrats and the media themselves, and we'll get nothing for it. Now is, now is the midway. It's a great turning point. I've always believed that Trump could stake his presidency out on Homeland Security. Now's his opportunity. Will he take yes for an answer? We'll let you know during the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening, and God bless. God bless.